here with Cecil Anderson. We just taped a Life on the Rock. And I thought maybe we could just get a little backstory on you and your own kind of conversion story, so to speak. It's I think it factors into the the discipling groups you're in now. So. Yeah, sure. So I always like to start uh, my conversion story with my parents because I feel like a lot of what happens with your family does determine a lot of things in life. Um, so both my parents were raised um, in the Catholic Church to an extent, my dad more so than my mom. Uh, he uh, grew up going to Mass with my grandmother, but my grandfather wasn't Catholic at the time. He did convert later in life, but there's a certain point when you have four teenage boys that getting them to go to Mass uh, once they've gotten bigger than you gets a little bit harder, I think. And so all of my dad's siblings fell away from the church. And um, my mom, she did her sacraments, but had a bit of a rough um, family life just with a single mom. And uh, she did the sacraments and that was about it. Had very little knowledge beyond that of um, Catholicism. Uh, they met and married and uh, didn't practice any uh, Christian faith for uh, many, many, many years until I was around five or six. My mom took us to mass a few times when we were younger because um, I was the only uh, church she knew of. And uh, honestly, all I remember is a lady singing really, really loudly behind me and the donuts that were after mass. <laughs> and also I was a little bit sad that I didn't get to participate in having uh, communion because I thought they, I call tortillas taco pads that's what I thought they were called. And I thought they were mini taco pads and I was really annoyed that I couldn't have one. <laughs> and so that was my first encounter with the Eucharist. <laughs> and, uh, but beyond that, we stopped going and uh, my uh, parents uh, found a Methodist church, uh, St. Paul's in Clearwater, Florida. And my sister and I attended a VBS and that was kind of my first real exposure to Christianity. Um, getting to sing Bible songs and learn a little bit more about God. And uh, my parents decided to have us baptized in that church. I was baptized by a female Methodist preacher, <laughs> which was a little bit unusual. And uh, we started attending that uh, church for uh, about a year or so before we moved to tech, back to the Texas area where my dad's family's from. And when we moved here, uh, we ended up going to a couple different Lutheran churches for a while. Um, and it's kind of a, a joke, I think, in Protestants, uh, Protestant churches that you usually stay with a church for a few years and then you leave because uh, something inevitably happens and you just leave it and go to another church and that happened with us too and the last church that we were at um, before becoming Catholic was a very reformed uh, Presbyterian church PCA is actually I think the same denomination uh, exactly that Scott Hahn was and uh, very liturgical uh, church it they the way they have their services set up is a lot like a mass is set up with the, the different readings the psalm the gospel they did communion every week what the teaching on communion was was a little confusing to me um uh, it was wasn't really the body and blood of christ but it wasn't also just a symbol it was some spiritual food that was important but not that important so it was kind of difficult as a young person trying to navigate that um, but like had it had happened in previous Protestant churches we were at, um, there were some pastoral issues that weren't being resolved and my parents decided it was time to move on. But my mom had been doing a lot of research on the Catholic Church because she wasn't educated very well with it, but she uh, discovered uh, that she what she knew about it was all wrong and she kind of had this love and desire to go back to the Catholic faith. And my dad also did as well once he started doing some research himself. And so they just announced to us one day that we're going to go to mass. 
and uh, didn't sit super well with my siblings and I. We were, my sister was 21, I was 17, and my brother was 13. And uh, we'd been raised in this very um, Protestant household to an extent. And so it's kind of like everything that they taught us, they were taking back, we felt like, to an extent. Um, and so uh, it was a little bit of a battle between uh, parents and the kids. My parents said that they weren't going to make us convert, but they did want us to go to mass with them. And we could go to a Protestant church if we wanted to, but um, most uh, young people don't make the time to go to church once on a Sunday, and I was not going to go twice. <laughs> so right, right. kind of uh, I eventually conceded to go to mass with them, and my mom kept kind of poking me on different things. There was a lot of a lot of crying, a lot of uh, her pu pulling up Bible verses and being <laughs> <laughs> like, this is not fair. I don't want to deal with this right now. I was didn't really want to get into it. I was honestly just kind of tired of it. And eventually she kind of wore me down and I said, all right, I'll go to RCIA. And I, at this point, my mom also very subtly just signed me up for youth group. And I ended up getting involved in the youth choir again before I had decided to become Catholic. Um, but I thought, well, might as well meet some people in the meantime. And uh, it wasn't too long after that, um, kind of probably a few months later, I just started realizing that I was being very stubborn and just holding out for very silly reasons where everything that my mom was saying and my dad was saying made sense. It was a lot of it was probably some teen stubbornness of not wanting just to do what they said. Um, and I just, I just witnessed a lot of, um, love and union in the Catholic church, which in Protestantism, even if you have other friends who are Protestant, they might be Baptist and you don't see eye to eye on this, this, and this. And it was just always, it was just always difficult. And I ha went to a lot of um, Sunday school classes where the teacher would just be like, oh, you know, when I was 17 or 16, I read through Romans and I decided what I believed, which didn't really make sense to me. And I'm like, that's a lot of effort. I don't want to have right. to decide what I believe. Hasn't Jesus told us what <laughs> we should be believe? Well, you know, I heard somebody say that even in a more general sense about, you know, saying they're spiritual, not religious. And, you know, I, I love just being able to form my own concept of God. And, I'm, and it kind of struck me as a as a real poverty. It's like, I yeah. I want something better than what I come yeah, up with. Exactly, because I'm like, yeah. that's a lot of pressure to put on me to come up with, you know, maybe hopefully I'll hit the, uh, I'll hit the truth, you right, know? Right, right. Um, so yeah, I was not interested in that. And so once I saw that, and we were watching a great, I think it was Dr. Edward Shree, uh, a video program in our RCIA classes, and everything was just making a lot of sense. And so I agreed to come into the church kind of last minute, um, I think right before 17, the deadline. 17. I was 17, yeah. yeah. Um, and came into the church on um, the Easter Vigil, I think that was 2016, Easter Vigil wow. of 2016. And you had some sisters or? Yes, I had an older sister and a younger brother, and we all actually individually um, decided to come into the church. Um, we all ended up coming at this, to the same Easter Vigil, but um, they both decided earlier than I did because I was the most stubborn. <laughs> uh -huh. um, but yeah, we were all able to come in together at our parish. And you were already baptized, though, right? I was already baptized, so I just got confirmation and first communion. So I didn't get to get dunked that day. <laughs> and you sang in the choir, right? Yeah, I sang in the youth choir um, for a while, for the last two years of my high school, and I joined the youth group and got pretty involved. I tend to be, once I have decided on something, I'm pretty all in. So I was very involved, joined the women's club as soon as I turned 18, and <laughs> I was doing all sorts of things. But then you had like another experience that brought you deeper into the faith with your, 
mom's passing. Yes. So it was, it's very interesting the way that God sometimes plans things out. But my, um, it was only, gosh, really only about three years after we came, all came into the church. Uh, my mom had suddenly had a massive stroke and passed away about 30 days later from it. And uh, I was only a few semesters into college, uh, living locally and at home. And it was just such a, that, that whole experience, the 30 days in the hospital was a whole uh, spiritual experience in itself. I got to see a lot of miracles, um, but as a deaf and family does, it brings up a lot of things that maybe you haven't looked at in your own life and in your own families for a while. <laughs> so it was kind of like everything that maybe any struggle I had, any spiritual struggle I was having just came up to the forefront. And I wasn't used to being challenged that hard. Um, and because I would say in the grand scheme of things, I had a very, I've had a very blessed life, very pretty easy, uh, easy going. Um, nothing to rock my world, so to speak. And to an extent, I'd say I got lax in that. Like I had become Catholic and I kind of was like, yep, did that. That was my big conversion. Done it. Moving on. Just going to live day to day. But I hadn't really been truly living it the way I should have. And so... Yeah, having that experience, that was, that really brought everything to the forefront and re made me realize that I wasn't doing as well spiritually as I thought I was. And I was really fascinated by, you mentioned a program that helped you. Yes, yeah, my parish um, has the Stephen Ministry, which is not uniquely a Catholic ministry, but it's a Christian uh, group where they train individuals, men and women, to be able to walk with people in a hard time in their life. It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, a death. It could be it could be something like a divorce or just a really difficult family situation, um, illness in the family or what it may, whatnot. And they're not supposed to be therapists. They're not supposed to be counselors. Um, all that they're supposed to do really is just be there to listen to you and just you. And that can, because, you know, in the midst of grief, there's a lot of emotions come out and you can be really, really frustrated with your family. Or you can, you know, even if you were really, really frustrated with the person who died, you know, you could have some lingering emotions of everyone's always like maybe praising that person a lot. And right. you, you want to just be able to vent for a minute. Right. Um, and it's kind of like if that was a safe time to do that. And you'd meet as often as you could, maybe once a week or so. Uh, until they thought that you were doing well enough. And it just kind of, yeah, kind of a no, non-judgment. They would, they would give, offer some advice, but they would just, just listen and they wouldn't tell anyone what you told them. Um, just having that sounding board sometimes, because sometimes you just need to get things off your chest and then they might have you reevaluate certain things that came out. Um, and it was a really beautiful thing. I had a wonderful lady who um, did it for me, who, um, just walked with me during some of those times when I definitely was holding a lot in. I remember sometimes she, uh, she, yeah, she told me off a few times. Uh, I was, uh, I would come and meet with her and I'd tell her about how everyone in my family was doing with the grief. And she'd just be like, okay, Cecil, we're, we only have five minutes left. You haven't talked once about you. And I was like, oh, <laughs> right. You've noticed that, did you? <laughs> Shoot, I guess I didn't get that one by you. Uh -huh. And um, and then I, you know, before uh, the pandemic happened, I had planned to in spring or in, I guess, summer of 2020 to go do the Camino because I thought that'll be a good 
good thing. You know, you'll be gone for several weeks, just walking, you and God praying. And, um, and she's like, I don't think you're going to make it to the Camino. You're not, you're just like bottling up grief and you can't just like plan. Okay. In a few months, I will focus on my grief. (laughs) She's like, that's not actually how that works. So Uh she was kind of the perfect person I needed in that time to be, she was just very real and very, very, very brutal. She reminded me of my mom a lot. And to an extent, she was very forward and would just call me out when I wasn't doing well. And she had experienced some loss like that in her life? She had had some things. Yeah, yeah. usually the people involved in it have been affected by uh, grief in some way. Um, but she also just had a heart for helping yeah. people. And that's yeah. how she got involved. And I, you know, I've come to appreciate too, just, I mean, I guess some of us are, I call it external processors, mm. you say it. And I know it's true for me. I just talked to a friend of mine, usually always seem like older guys that, just when I say it, I kind of come to conclusion myself, you know, just verbalizing it. You kind of working towards that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes the first step is just saying it out loud. Hmm. What? Yeah. It really sets you up to do the, the discipling program in your parish, right? It did. Yeah. Because I realized how much I relied on having someone a little bit older, a little bit wiser than me well, a lot wiser than me, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, to be there that I could I could call upon if I had a question or I needed help or just, you know, prayers even, um, which is something my parents, they were, they were pretty good about. I was homeschooled, so I, I, I experienced the world a little bit differently than a lot of kids did. And I always got along with adults very well. Um, and I just felt like I was more comfortable. And... Uh, but having particular adults that I could, older adults that I could talk to and um, and just listen to their advice was very, really important to me. And I didn't even realize it was something that was missing in youth ministry until we had this gentleman, Everett Fritz, come to my parish. He actually came on my, um, was it my 20th birthday? My, no, it was my 21st birthday, I think. Yeah, it was my 21st birthday. It was my first birthday without my mom. He came um, to our parish to give a talk about this idea of discipleship. And I just remember our youth minister had sent out an email and I had to help with the youth ministry, our large group format for a while. And she said, oh, he's coming on this night to give a little talk about how we hope to move forward with our ministry. And I was like, oh, I have to go to this. So my sister and I went. And I just remember thinking, man, everything he's saying just makes so much sense. This idea of instead of doing just large group events, we have small groups with, you know, six to eight kids um, who are in the same age level, freshman, sophomore, whatever it may be. And they meet together every single week with two leaders until they graduate and they build up prayer life and they are there to answer questions about the faith and they make it much more personal and they have these mentors. It just made a lot of sense. And I meant, wow, I really needed that when I was in high school, that would have been amazing. Um, And so, and I just thought, well, how many more kids could keep their faith throughout college if they had that backbone? Yeah. And we we were talking before, I, I, I feel like when I was that age, I, like, I just didn't even know what I needed. You know? <laughs> yeah, it we're was... a little helpless to an extent. 
right yeah it's kind of one of those things where um yeah i was past high school hood at that time so yeah. i i was looking back on it, i'm like man that would have been good and that probably would have helped me a lot but yeah i don't think necessarily these kids were sitting there going yeah i want maybe a few maybe a few <laughs> did uh, a few more matured <laughs> ones right, were like right. yes i need this um but i think since we've started it a lot of kids they've really stuck with it and so i think they subconsciously have realized ah this is something i've been missing right and with your mom's passing i i lost my father passed away when i was 20. i was like uh, i guess the first half of college was there some deep like maybe spiritual things you learned in that or mm. i know for me it was because I, I really had a conversion experience i'm convinced just through my dad's suffering that i mean i was in church on sundays and they had raised me in the faith but i didn't know my faith well mm. and my my world my outlook was pretty worldly on things and just kind of very self-centered and mm. um so I, I feel like my dad's suffering you know we were praying the rosary as a family you know that I, it was a grace merited for me i think that just to be converted <laughs> yeah yeah no absolutely yeah. yeah i think um the biggest thing for me is that i think i got very very comfortable just kind of chugging along going to mass every week um praying sporadically when i could um when i could in my mind um and uh and i was very comfortable because i thought well i have my family and they're very very important to me and that's i'm set um and i think i had it a little bit backwards in my brain that i didn't have um, God first to an extent. I think I put my family a little bit over that. And so when I lost my mom, I suddenly realized that I, I was felt like I was floundering. I didn't have anything to hold on to. I was like, mom kept the family together. I'm like, what is my life anymore? What, what does it, what is the meaning of it anymore? And so I kind of realized that, yeah, I had put too much on earthly things, I guess you could say, and not, again, I was, going to church every week. I was volunteering at church several times a week. I, you know, I was, I work at a Catholic radio station during this time too. Um, but I wasn't, I don't think I had the personal spiritual development that I needed to have at that time, uh, at the age that I was, because I still was relying solely on just humans to help me with everything. And I wasn't going to God enough. Right. So that was a big thing, I think for me. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Everett Fritz talks about it in his book about discipleship. And but I just we just had a guest on that was talking about it as well, uh, Jan Tiranowski, mm. who was a, a Polish tailor. He was a single man, never married, worked in the fa his family tailor shop. And and I think like the Archbishop of Krakow had asked him to um, to to work with young people. And Everett Fritz was talking about how he basically formed a, a youth group mm -hmm. and he worked intensely with, I forgot if it was five or 10 young people to be like leaders. And then they would go out and each have a little group and they called it the living rosary prayer group or oh. something. And, and they had like 10 priests come out of, uh, I forget the numbers, how many groups they had. But uh, one of those priests was John Paul II. <laughs> oh, wow, wow, <laughs> and, oh my gosh. And he even said he would not be a priest 
today. He would never have been a priest without the influence of Jan Tudowski, who is who was a real mystic, who himself had health problems and I think he had gone and tried to work in the field of accounting and had a lot of health problems, couldn't. He could do it, he could work like in the family business where it's more flexible. Mm -hmm. And he started reading John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila, and, and really put the principles into practice and, and became a, a spiritual guide. And, uh, and John Paul II went on to write one of his doctoral theses on faith in John of the Cross. And, uh, and really, I think, you know, I heard a quote from Jan Trudowski that said, being a saint isn't that hard. You know, because <laughs> every time I look at John of the Cross, I'm thinking, that looks awfully it looks hard. <laughs> but I, yeah, I'm not sure fully what he meant by that, but just that it's doable and you got to have faith, right? Mm. It's not all up to me. Right. But I thought it was just this wonderful testimony to the impact you can have working with young people, the power of a small group, way before the mega churches were doing it. Yes, yes. <laughs> you had this Krakowian model, you know, and uh, you know, the time amazing. of World War II. And... Yeah, and if you look at all, a lot of the saints, um, the, how many of them were friends or how right. many of them were mentors to one another? Um, it, yeah, we're not really meant to walk the faith journey alone, really. Right. We do rely on, to an extent, onto others. Um, and it's made yeah. that way because if you think that we're all given charisms to build up the body of Christ. Mm. I mean, everybody, by virtue of their baptism, confirmation, they have charisms mm. to serve in the church, you know, and and probably we're not, most people aren't tapping into these, but right. that God's going to use other people in our life, you know. Yeah, so, absolutely. So, so what, your degree, uh, you studied, you had an interest in film. Yes. And you went and studied videotapes? Is yeah, that video <laughs> yeah oh man, I wish it was just videotapes. No, video technology. I had decided, um, well, I've always been interested into the arts. And um, my mom was really struggling with trying to figure, help me figure out what I wanted to do. Because I liked a lot of different things. But I wasn't a big fan of going to college. I was, I've always <clears> wanted to work. Um, but my mom was like, I need you to have some sort of security that you at least have some form of degree. And so we met in the middle and I decided to get this applied associates of science um, in video technology at a local community college in our area that actually has a pretty well-known program. That's basically a radio, film and television um, uh, degree that I started uh, studying. And um, it was honestly in the first month of doing that that I started working for Catholic Radio too. And what do you do for Catholic Radio today? So today I am the North Texas assistant of the Guadalupe Radio Network, which means I do a lot of random things, honestly. I wear, there's a lot of jokes around the office. I wear a lot of hats um, and I actually do wear a lot of physical hats too. Um, I started as a joke on one of our shows wearing a hat every week and my boss challenged me to see if I could do it for a year without repeating hats. And I actually did win that challenge, by the way. Um, I, had, I didn't realize how many hats I owned and people started giving me hats too to help out, <laughs> which is really kind. It's but, certainly a cowboy hat is somewhere. There, there. there's a cowboy hat. There's a, all, I, there was a chicken hat. There's been a lot of things. <laughs> um, but I, I help with, um, I do some of the programming. Um, uh, some of the local programming. I co-host um, a local show with my boss where we just kind of update about things happening in the Diocese of Fort Worth or Dallas. And um, What's I, the name of that show? That one's a good news show. It happens Mondays at noon 
which is a great, uh, great hour. Co-host that with what's with his Dave Palmer, the Dave executive Palmer. director. And then on um, one Friday a month, I uh, co-host a program, another local program. We have a rotating uh, show on Fridays at 11, where every week it's a different set of hosts. And uh, one week, uh, the second month, uh, second Fridays of the month, it's myself and my friend Zach Barton, who is currently the director of youth ministry at my parish. And uh, we do a show for young people called Young and Present um, for youth and young adults. It's a little bit more focused on the young adult spectrum. And we just, because I thought that was a little bit of a gap that in um, radio world, there wasn't much for young adults. And what would be the style of format topics? Yeah, it's it's very, (laughs) well, we we always put together a great little outline, but I will say we get very distracted quite easily. So it's um, it's a conversation, very conversational. We um, usually have a guest on. We'll choose a topic for that month. Um, so I think, actually ours is up on the air for this month, but with things we've done in the past, we've done vocations, uh, dating, we've done um, the value of your time, um, you know, and how you're using your time or not using your time well. Um, just things that we think that young people would find relevant um, to their lives and also just having younger voices on the air as well. Um, and yeah, we'll just, it's usually about three segments. It's an hour long show. And we just, we'll try to find a guest who's relevant to that topic. And we will just all three discuss it using their expertise and our own experiences that we like to put in a lot of personal things about it too. Just to, um, just try to all grow together. And you try to find a young person for the third? Usually try to find a young person. Occasionally we have someone who's um, older, we call young at heart, um, who can <laughs> provide something because we're both pretty young. Zach's only, oh gosh, he's probably only about 26 years old, but he's married with a little baby. And um, uh, so we're still pretty, pretty young in the grand scheme of things. So occasionally we find certain topics, you know, garner a wise, older and wiser. Um, so you'll opinion. interview some high schoolers even? Or? Yeah, you know what? We've only done a couple of those, but we've interviewed a lot of some college students. Okay. Yeah, so and I've, I've interviewed high schoolers uh, for some of our other programs as often as I can. Yeah, bringing, I, I always enjoy uh, bringing younger people into the studio as frequently, frequently as we can. Well, I, you know, I've said one of my favorite Life on the Rock shows <clears throat> was when we were there for the Conclave of Pope Francis and we went around and got plugged into there's a lot of like American Catholic schools that'll have like a small little studio yeah uh, yeah a little campus or a little satellite yeah it's not even you can't even really say campus (laughs) but they so students could go study abroad take classes at whatever school over there and get credit and but it was absolutely riveting to me to hear like these 20 somethings usually like 20 or 21 and to hear their reflections about being at st peter's Mm. i remember the first time their their reflections on the conclave and there's something about i I was thinking about it later you know like people say you know the great love of their life it might have been their first love they wound up marrying somebody else for some other reason. <laughs> but they'll, you know, they might say, or they'll say we were so madly in love. There was something about that first impression that's so powerful, mm. right? It's not routine. We don't overlook things. We're like open to everything. And, uh, and, they, and to hear their reflections on the church and the papacy. I'll never forget, like when Benedict was elected, we did a, sh- 
did a Life on the Rock out there. And one of the young people really said it right, that it was, I think John Paul's pontificate was something like 27, 28 years. Mm -hmm. So it had been a long time since the world had seen a conclave. And then to see it, like this would have been 05, with modern technology, with modern coverage. Right. Like in the late 70s, you didn't have like the, the news cycle that we have today, 24-7. And, and, and so at one end of the square, there was scaffolding set up and there's CNN and all the big names. And they've got parabolic mics and all these cameras. And they're all focused on this little smokestack, this little chimney <laughs> coming out of the... <laughs> coming out of the uh, wow. I just forgot the name of the place they elect the Pope, they, <laughs> that chapel that yeah. they elect the Pope. And, um, and I thought they're, they're, they're waiting for smoke signals. That's what this kid said. I was <laughs> like, that is a great that, observation. I mean, it's not wrong, <laughs> that's for sure. Because I think the world was fascinated by tradition. It's right. like, this is the way the Catholic Church has done this for centuries. Right. And the Pope, you know, especially like, Pope John Paul II just had this huge impact on the world. And and they we're about to elect another one, you know, mm. it's like, wow. But so anyway, I, I thought, yeah, young people have really interesting Observ observations. Yeah, they yeah. do, absolutely. Yeah. Or I should say we do, I'm acting like I'm not. <laughs> I'm totally 23 here. <laughs> uh, yes. So you do on-air work, and what's that been like? It's you like that? Or? I do. I remember the. I started as just an intern. It was kind of a, um, a very just random way. I ended up working for the radio station, but um, felt like I didn't have anything on my resume that was really in the radio, film, or television world. And so one of my classes was also like, you need to have stuff on your resume. And so I freaked out and called my boss now um, asking if they needed an intern. And they said uh, they actually really did. They didn't have anyone to do production. Um, and so I originally started doing that, but my Dave likes to pull everyone onto the air eventually. And at first I was like, I don't need to do that. And, and uh, I remember the first time he pulled me on, he had me, he's like, just say something, Cecil. And I ended up saying, Instead of saying, I'm really enjoying hanging out with this group of Catholics, I just, this group of Catholic people. And my mom teased me about that so hard because she said, you know, Cecil, Catholic would have been fine. You should have said with a group of Catholics, Catholic people, you just like did two nouns. <laughs> and I was like, really? Um, so at first I was very, very nervous. It did not, it did not go well for me at first. <laughs> I was, and my mom was one of, one of those kind of people who um, would definitely point out your mistakes. She was like, she's like, I'll compliment you when you deserve a compliment, but I'll also call you, say it when you said something wrong. And so it was, it was a little bit rough at first. And I thought, man, I am not made for this life. But then eventually I got comfortable and just live with the fact that some things are going to come out of your mouth that are not the way you intended to say them. And uh, right. you're not always going to look smart. Um, had to kind of uh, die to self there for <laughs> a little bit. Um, but I've enjoyed it since then. Um, it's a very it's a very fun medium uh, to just be able to speak with people in their cars as they're driving down the road live is just very interesting. It's, it's kind of even though we have a whole bunch of other types of technology, it's still there's something special about radio. Yeah. And so I, think I enjoy it. The life part, especially too, is, you know, you can talk about the saint of the day or something just happened in the news. Yeah, absolutely. The feast. Yeah, the I feast mean, day. goodness, we were in the middle of our local show when uh, the uh, Notre Dame was burning mm. and we were one of the, we, we got a notification on our phone and we were able to say it right then and there before most people knew about it. Right. Mm -hmm.
And I, I think too, I've come to appreciate this about podcasts that, and radio would be included in this, but just we spend so much time in our cars. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And, Case in point, yeah. And like we're exercising, you know, you might be on the treadmill or something mm-hmm. and you can listen to a podcast. And because I, I listen to a lot of stuff like that and it's the main way I get information, so. Mm. No, indeed, yeah. It's important, important stuff. Now you, the, you studied video technology. You, you have a love for film. I find that interesting. You've actually been to Sundance. What was that I, like? <laughs> that was an experience, yes. Yeah, so um, I've always um, enjoyed telling stories in different ways. Um, and I enjoy writing, but I definitely am more of a visual person. And uh, I didn't even realize it was possible for people outside of Hollywood to make films um, because I thought you had to have like a whole big studio. And then when my cousin at a family gathering was like, I'm bored, what should we do? He goes, we should make a movie. I was like, we could do that? I was really unaware of the technological advances at 11. Um, And so uh, we started making goofy videos together and that's when I really got into it myself. And for many years, my dad had been saying, you should go to Sundance. Um, the Independent Film Festival. And uh, that Sundance is uh, actually very difficult to get to um, and to find a hotel nearby to stay because it's so popular. It's in this little city, Park City, Utah. But it just so happens to be the home of my dad's cousin who lives there and is in just a block away from all the theaters. You can just walk down a hill and get to them all. And so um, just two years ago, right before um, the pandemic happened, actually, we were in uh we were able to get tickets she got like local tickets to go see five different films and uh, so he and i flew out for um, a few days during the festival it's a several week festival we went on during the week is nicer because you don't have all the celebrities and all the hoorah (laughs) so it's much more just the locals so this is with your father this is with my dad yeah with my he and i went out together and stayed at my cousin's house um, got to meet her cats, who I was quite allergic to, but who did it for Sundance. <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, so I got to see five different films and actually a couple of others that we were able to get tickets to as well. And it was it was it was really uh, a great experience to be more exposed to the independent films. And I this kind of was reiterated to me that I enjoyed independent film because I kind of been in my mind waffling like, oh, if I ever go into the film industry, where would I want to go? And it kind of just solidified that the independent route would be the way to go because they're, first off, the audiences are used to the kind of films that they make, but they're very heartfelt in a way you don't see come out of Hollywood. And I'm not just gonna bash Hollywood. They have a lot of reasons to be bashed, but um, but they, Hollywood makes a certain type of film. It's a film that is very clean, satisfying beginning middle end um everything is just just very and it's commercial it's commercial (laughs) it's very commercial not very creative Uh it's not but it satisfies you know that little itch of wanting to watch a movie right you can oh you see that i mean i appreciate a good fight scene a good action scene just i love i do enjoy the marvel movies i enjoy all these things i i love uh superheroes and things like that so i enjoy them but it's lacking in deeper character depth that you can't get out of it. And so to an extent, I almost have been watching so many Hollywood films, I forgot that how much you could get into a hour and a half film or a two hour film. And so the films at Sundance, they have lots of flaws. They Sometimes the the content that's in it is not great and the, the worldview is not great, but 
it does show you the hearts of the people who made them and it shows honestly the the brokenness of humanity but in a very honest way where we can all relate to and it shows the face of god i feel like to an extent better than any other any hollywood film would ever be able to yeah maybe just even with an honest showing of the struggle or the despair or mm -hmm. something um the reality yeah god's gonna be revealed in that in some way but uh, yeah because i think the difference is hollywood glorifies the struggle and independent films make it real and make yeah. it that it's not something necessarily to be proud of but it's something that there is a struggle if that makes sense <laughs> no that does that's a great distinction yeah that's like yeah they try well yeah they might try to show i guess they're trying to play it safe and mm. they, they got to make money you got to please the studio whatever but yeah, you can stylize or glorify the struggle and maybe the real despair of it was Yeah, because you're like, yeah, you're like, we'll just hide the fact that this probably didn't actually end very well if it was real life. Yeah, there's a lot of, lot of that. Yeah, in fact, I, I mean, yeah, there is a, like, it seems like it's more popular now to have based on true stories now, as they say. Yes. But at the same time, when you, and I've done this so many times, it's like I'll go and want to read and I'll go to Wikipedia. You know, it's not an in-depth study, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> to find out about these real people. And it's always it's always a lot uglier, a lot more human failure. Oh, yes, yes. Or they weren't quite as heroic as we mm. portrayed it. I mean, they did something great maybe or something, but there was like a lot of human frailty around it. And... You know, though, to me, though, when you and you, you know, you're limited an hour and a half, two hours, what you can show. Mm. But to me, it's like when you even realize that stuff and maybe they did really show up and do something heroic. Mm. To me, it, it makes it even more special. You know, Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> to show how not clean and pretty it was. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And that. Yeah, because I, I think sometimes the temptation, too, is to say, OK, well, they. They just tried harder, got their act together or something. And, mm. and as Christians, we believe God's providence, his grace, is guiding this thing. And and it's like, really, you got to kind of come to the end of yourself. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's not pretty. It's not pretty. Yeah. And they're like, eh, I don't think we can make this actor or actress. They're not going to sign this contract if they don't look good. <laughs> right? yeah. 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 That's a good point, too. Yeah. Yeah. They got to fulfill things. You know, they don't want to make everyone's even if they're beaten up you got to look pretty you know the cut's got to be right in the right place where it falls on your, <laughs> doesn't actually get all over your face it's just a cute little cut you get on your forehead <laughs> i don't know i just noticed that every single person who gets a cut on their forehead it's in the exact same place <laughs> that's apparently the only way you can get hurt in a film <laughs> right yeah and I, i've heard yeah like yeah camera angles like you know, A-list actresses, actors, you know, they want to be shot a certain way. And mm, oh, yeah. It seems like the indie films sometimes will draw these these guys that are very comfortable in playing the beat-up character, you know? That, uh, they really are. And yeah. sometimes they play a character, like the main character, who is not likable. Right. And that's what I find really interesting. Um, Nikki, you could feel sorry for them, but one of the films we watched was kind of like that. Um, it's about a man who kind of just didn't really do anything in his life. He was just a late night burger joint chef right. and he just had a really and it was funny the film ended 
And it was one of those endings that made you uncomfortable because you're like, man, he didn't grow. He didn't right. learn anything. Right. But that was, but people around him did. And but that was part of it is that you just had to realize that sometimes that happens. Hmm. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it, you know, I to me the indie draw too is that it, it's like it's not afraid of silence. It's not afraid of not of being non-commercial and mm -hmm. not always moving ahead and not always having the cleverest, best lines or situations. Mm. Yeah, you know? definitely. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah. So what did you think of The Chosen? Did you see that? I've seen most of it. I've not seen all of it. I mm -hmm. actually, um, the first time I ever heard about it was through random Catholic radio connections. I they another group needed someone to go out to uh, Weatherford, Texas, which is where they filmed part of The Chosen, the first season of The Chosen. What part um, of Texas is that? That's Weatherford, Texas is about an hour. Um, it's kind of towards Fort Worth. It's like past Fort Worth. It's like an hour past Fort Worth. And are there, I mean, I, I was watching an episode recently and there's like mountains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I think they did that here in Texas. I don't think yeah. they were able to do that. But um, re really random in the middle. Weatherford is not a big town. It's a kind of tiny town. Um, they have a to scale Capernaum built right. there right. and that's where they filmed a lot of this uh the scenes like the wedding at cana and things like that and then i think they filmed in duncanville for uh the second season for a few random things so i'm not sure because we don't have many mountains in texas yeah. <laughs> maybe a few yeah. out towards el paso uh -huh. um but we don't have that many mountains but yeah they they used texas which is really funny um because texas, texas isn't even that big of a film state period mm -hmm. outside of austin um, but they needed someone to go out and interview the director and a few producers and 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 the actress who played Mary Magdalene. And I somehow you did that? I did that. <laughs> what I, you know, I love Mary Magdalene. <laughs> She's huh? amazing. She was yeah. lovely. Uh, yeah, what was her name? Elizabeth Tabish, I think was her name. Uh -huh. um, and so me not having that great of interview skills at the time. This was a couple of years ago, and also having not done a on camera interview before, uh, just went out there very unassuming had no idea what i'd be doing but i actually it was really amazing i got to walk around the set um sit in front of jesus's um trailer he was not there that day unfortunately <laughs> um which was sad but i got to meet dallas jenkins the director and a couple of the producers and um the lady who played um mary magdalene just did short you know five ten minute interviews with each of them um honestly we're not my best i didn't even let my family look at it um when i saw it come <laughs> out <laughs> but um but well, it's uh, interesting you describe her as a lovely person because that's yeah. my impression of her too. She it kind of comes is so very sweet. Yeah. She was just so happy to be there. Uh -huh. I think, and it was interesting. Uh, off camera, we got into a little bit of a conversation about her faith because they asked me not to, you know, do anything on camera because we can't, you know, assume that every person involved in that is um, of Christian faith. But she was a Catholic. Did grow up Catholic, uh, and oh. it was just interesting. I felt like it was playing on her heart a little bit. Yeah, oh, wow. playing that character. But that was my first time being exposed to The Chosen. I had no idea about it. And I watched the first four episodes that had been released in preparation for um, my interviews. And then suddenly, then it blew up. And mm -hmm. then everyone knew about it. And uh, yeah, so my family really enjoys it. It's not, obviously, it's never going to be perfect. But I personally think it's done great things for um, building up the conversation, honestly, about Christianity. Because talking about your faith has gotten less and less so in the commonplace, I think. And so having something like that, where so many people across the world love it, 
I think it just grows um, conversations. Right. And you did these interviews for? I did it for Shalom World Media, uh, World okay. TV. Um, they, I think, were based in Chicago. They didn't have any uh, anybody down here in the South. And so they had contacted one of our staff members mm -hmm. in Houston and asked if he knew anybody. And he threw my name out. Um, and that's when I <laughs> drove out to Weatherford. <laughs> and so like the PR company of The Chosen asked you not to go? Yeah, they asked me not to go yeah. into that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but obviously the director, we we openly talked about faith things. Um, and what was that like? What was, you know? It was really cool. Um, I tried to, I used my Protestant background that helped a little bit, I think, to yeah. um, bring up about, you know, I said, you know, a lot of us, a lot of Christians maybe don't, it's going to bring, you know, the Chosen is going to bring up a lot of things that maybe they had forgotten about those details about the Gospels. Um, and he was very excited to talk about all that sort of stuff. But it, it was a good conversation. It was very short again, but um, it was it was enjoyable to listen to him talk about it. And he's like, before we started the interview, he goes, he goes, this is for Christian media, right? And I said, yes. He goes, so I can talk about my faith. And I'm like, yeah, it would be really weird if you did not. <laughs> Please he, do. Was he a pastor at one point in his life? I know his dad was. I'm not sure if he was. Okay. I know, wasn't his dad the one who wrote the Left Behind series? Really? I um, think it was his dad. Oh, I think okay. he's distanced himself from that in particular. Yeah. But I think so. I to me that that first episode with Mary Magdalene. Oh, so good. I know that was so. That was a good one. Powerful. I was like, you're kind of like going along, and I I think I even well the first time I saw it, I think I missed the very beginning, and the repeated theme of the uh, the quote. Mm. And I'm forgetting now. Is it from Isaiah or is oh, it? Oh gosh. Uh, you were mine. I've redeemed yes. you, Israel, and you were yeah. mine. And um, and yeah, that scene in the bar where he gets mm. where Jesus meets her, it's like or then calls her outside of the bar. I I thought that was like that's like the greatest scene in movie history. I, it, it was <laughs> it was amazing. I know. I remember when I when I got called to do this, I I thought it was just some small little thing. I didn't really know what what to expect when I went out there. And when I watched the episodes in preparation, I went, Oh man, this is probably some of the best produced like quality wise too because yeah. that's the unfortunate thing about christian movies sometimes right. and tv shows is that the low budget sacrifice quality and the writing can be bad but i just remember watching and going this is really good this is really good well you know too that the franco zeffirelli film in the late 70s of jesus of nazareth there's a lot of great parts in that and mm. and if i just read the wikipedia story of it and you know I, I think they got like a script writer from england who was very accomplished and the director's very accomplished i guess Zeffirelli, i guess mm -hmm. the thing. but um and and i i was a couple of years ago i remember re, re watching like the scene before uh, the sanhedrin it was or mm -hmm. something or they when they were discussing what to do with jesus and I thought it theologically, I thought it was very good, you know, mm. and it was some of the tensions and stuff. And and even the, the whole thing about, uh, you know, Peter having to accept the tax collector and as one of the 12 and um, and then having to let go of his business and everything. You know, I thought there was some great stuff. Yeah. I thought Jesus, to me, though, was portrayed kind of oddly, mm. you know, the character. In it. But mm. what I love about The Chosen, though, is... 
is they you can feel their faith mm. through it. Like you talked about feeling the heart like of, of an indie film of the people. Mm. And I I just always feel like people of faith made this. Yeah, <laughs> and, absolutely. And they're they're great at the call. I mean, I the way they portray the call of, of different people, yes. I thought it's and I, I haven't seen all of season two. Yeah, but, me neither. <laughs> well, they just started one of the episodes. It was like these little interviews with, it's like the different characters. Mary Magdalene's talking to the camera about some experience of Jesus. Mm. And they, so they're going down there. You know, it's done like in a very modern uh, yeah. reality TV style. Oh, that's really funny. I hadn't seen that yet. That's yeah. awesome. And it, it was real effective because it wasn't like, oh, this is just, I, I, didn't, I didn't even think. I didn't even think that, oh, this is so, uh, uh, what's the word? You know, they're just using this as a vehicle to get this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, it didn't even come across. I guess I'm so used to that medium now of doing it that it way. Worked. Yeah, it worked. Interesting. And, and I always say, you know, there's something, yeah, I mean, like the Catholic traditionally you know, has come across this storytelling of Jesus is very, high Christology, you know, mm. Jesus is very exalted. He doesn't seem as human. And these these filmmakers are, you know, are emphasizing humanity and the divinity. I, mm. I think they actually have a nice balance. And right. I, and to me, and I say this, and some of my Protestant friends and former Protestant friends, they, they think I take it too far, but it's like, I always feel like I'm looking at a Protestant pastor, like of an evangelical church, you uh, know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But at the same time, they will come and bring some reality of a simple aspect of the faith. And it's like the power of that, of what the gospel is teaching or telling, mm -hmm. asking of us, it comes across in the chosen. Like I, I just watched their one on, on the Sermon on the Mount mm. and it was just his preparation. And, you know, in, in, in Matthew's gospel where the Sermon on the Mount is it it says Jesus like looks up at the crowds and then he says he gives the Beatitudes you know mm. blessed are the merciful they shall receive mercy it's almost like he's looking at his disciples and he sees this in them mm. and so it's just great where Matthew's like kind of writing this stuff down Jesus's ideas and and Matthew like questions him like they hadn't put the Beatitudes part they just put all the challenges and he said it's you know, this is very challenging, Master, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. shouldn't there be some little bit, whatever, yeah. good news or like Right, right, yeah. <laughs> and, and Jesus kind of affirms, you know, kind of the the, the moral call, the teaching and the, all that, that, yeah, it, it is challenging. But, but then he said, and he said, I agree with you. It needs a better beginning. We need to fix the beginning. <laughs> and... And, uh, you know, even me as a Catholic, high Christology, it's like, okay, did Jesus really have to think about all this stuff? Right, right. <laughs> You're like, yeah, is that how that works? Yeah, I'm not sure. But so then, but when he comes back to Matthew and says, this is why we're going to do it, and he talks about the Beatitudes, they cut away to different scenes we've already seen in previous episodes of the Apostles. The one that typified mercy, one that typified purity, mm. one that typified whatever, forgiveness, and and... I just thought it was brilliant. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was like, I thought that is just flat out brilliant the way they did that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot, I feel like, of that in The Chosen. Honestly, I wish that we could have the whole Bible just 
<laughs> all the Bible stories could be right. made into a TV show that thorough. Right. Um, because it does make you notice things oh, in the gospel stories. I mean, we've all read the gospels probably so many times, um, just simply by attending mass. But um, the, all these little, those little things like you're talking about, like the calling of each of the disciples, um, which is such a beautiful thing, but in the grand scheme of things, they're hardly talked about. Right. Um, and just to get experience that a little bit more. Uh, and if nothing else, it's just going to encourage people to pick up their Bibles. want to read the source material. Like he's mentioned, right. you watch a movie, you immediately go to the Wikipedia page and you're yeah. like, how, how did this person actually live? You're going to want to pick right. up the Bible and be like, let me read this. I want to know how they're portrayed in the Bible. Yeah. yeah that's, and that, I, I felt like that watching The Passion too. Mm. It's like, I haven't done justice to this in meditation, you know, because it was like... Mm. I hadn't, I didn't have my own concept oftentimes of what it looked like or what happened. Sure. And and he, Mel Gibson, made me think about that. And and it, I found too, it took me like a few, I saw it a few times. It took me to get into his vision to kind of accept it. And, mm. and then, because um, you can kind of go in and say, well, I, I didn't think of it that way. I didn't imagine. But the truth is, maybe I didn't really think of it at all. You know? Yeah. You're <laughs> and, like, oh, Jesus was flogged. Okay. And you're like, what does that mean? <laughs> right. right. But I love the way the actor plays Jesus, too. He's mm. got he's got authority. He's got decisiveness. But he also has a wonderful humanity that's inviting. Mm. You'd want to hang around with him. Sure. You know, he's not uh, someone you wouldn't want to hang around with. You know? Yeah, he's very warm. So it's been great talking with you. Thanks for doing the show.